0: The Four Horsemen. What
1: you have here is the Four Horsemen united live and exciting color.
0: Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's the Four Horsemen. All right, welcome back everybody to this podcast edition of the Four Horsemen. With me, I have Sir Adam Black, Ben Heisey, Ben Kerfman, and me, your host for today, Terry Hollifield. I had asked my horsemen, my fellow horsemen, uh, this week to talk about some things as we, we're kind of at the end of the year, aren't we, fellas? Uh, so, as we approach 2022, and the state of the church, the state of the world, and how we navigate the world as the church, that sort of thing. Uh, what do we see out on the horizon, or maybe right now, that would be uh, maybe some pitfalls that the church might be facing at this time, uh, things that we need to look out for, things that we need to be aware of. And so we're actually going to be talking about several things today. Uh, really, uh, we could, we're could we just going to be able to scratch the surface of these things, I think you guys would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, each one of these could have its own episode, <laughs> truly. Um, but I'd like for us to at least um, scratch the surface. The surface. And so what we're going to have on the docket for today is uh, Adam Black is going to be talking about, he thinks that the church is too busy is one of the major pitfalls that we're facing. Uh, ben Heisey is going to be addressing the idea that the church is taught what to think very often, but not how to think, Right. And uh, Benjamin Kerfman is going to be talking about the church fails to properly discern pop culture and media narratives. And I want to address them in that order that we just because I think they kind of build, you know. And so, Adam, I wanted to start with you because uh, this uh, major pitfall that we face as Christians that we're too busy. I wanted to talk about that first, because I think being too busy some, sometimes hamstrings us from doing well, these other things that the guys right. are going to be talking about. So. Uh, Why don't you first start by telling us what you mean by Christians or the church are too busy? What does that mean?
1: Well, just to, to, I was thinking about it this week is if you think about 30 years ago, roughly, uh, just watching TV, you've had 20 channels, 15 channels, right? But now there's thousands of channels. And so you have all these options and and you look at just the options in society there's more to do we're so overly stimulated i was thinking about um, youth sports you know i played aau basketball growing up and uh, aau basketball was for like 2 3 months and that was really it now it's like year long you know with baseball softball dance everything it's there's so many options now to do and it was that case before covid Then COVID hits and everything stops. And so the fear that I have for 2022 is once things get back to normal, we're getting closer to normal, that church will be uh, not a priority for people because it's like, it's time to get back to doing what we love to do. And let's get back to, you know, doing all this stuff and the mission of the church and the mission of God will be put on the back burner. For folks, And so I think that's going to be a real danger. It already is a danger within churches. Um, But I think once we get back to normal, um, especially the fact of during COVID, the online people could just stay at home and watch it. I even, there's a church that um, I listen to now. uh, They actually emphasize people to not come to the worship gathering, which I don't agree with. They're like, you know, go to the lake and watch us online. And they're really they're focused so much on the online presence than the actual physical gathering, which is, is wrong. Um, Amen. but I think that it's, um, I think that's going to be very problematic, uh, going forward. And a lot of people will say, well, uh, the cultural Christianity, COVID killed cultural Christianity. And, and there's some aspects of that, but I think actual followers are going to, um, uh, be pulled in so many different directions once things get back to somewhat mm-hmm. normalcy so
0: yeah so whether whether we go back to what normal may, right. may look different you know right. new normal is probably a little bit different you can't step into the same river twice as they say you know <laughs> right um was you, Asheville if you, yeah, you. <laughs> but, but what do you guys think what are the um and you obviously you can contribute whatever you want to contribute but my thought was what do you think are the consequences that come out of do you agree with what Adam's saying? Do you have a different perspective, additional perspective? And what are some of the consequences you think might come out of this idea of being, being too busy?
2: Yeah, I think as far as the future generation, or you could say the current generation of youth, um, he did hit on the, uh, the youth sports and the busyness of life and how it bleeds over into church. And one thing that I think parents are confused about is when their kids graduate college, why do they leave the church and never come back? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because the parents have modeled for them, since they were old enough to play sports, that sports take precedence over church.
1: And it's dance. There, there, it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of things in that. Yeah.
2: That's right. Dance. I mean, it's not That's just... what
1: my girls do, so I'm, I'm in that world. Yeah. Pray for me. Go yeah. Ahead.
2: So, you know, in the days of uh, Sundays and Wednesdays being sacred in our culture are gone— so now you've got practice on Wednesdays, if your church still does stuff on Wednesdays. You've got um, tournaments on Sundays. And I think parents look at busyness as a, a a measure or a metric of success. Like the busier I can keep my kids, the more successful of a parent that I am because I'm giving them all these opportunities. They'll stay out of trouble. And yeah. They're only young once. Yeah.
1: They're only young They're
3: once. too busy to sin. Yeah,
2: right. exactly, exactly. But in reality, what you're teaching them is is that everything else is more important than God. And if you don't um, make sure church is a priority, because obviously um, being a part of a local church is a God-given privilege, it's it's a great institution that we must honor because Scripture honors it. If you teach them continuously that there are things more important than God's house, then your kids are never going to find the importance of their relationship with the Lord. And I think the busyness goes back to that. Busyness is not success. Busyness is distractions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key. Yeah.
3: Yeah, what what are your thoughts, Kirby? Uh I mean, I w- I would echo a lot of what uh, Ben's saying there. I think, uh, and I don't think that this is unique to COVID. I think this has just been a problem for a long yeah. time. I mean, it goes back a lot further than that. I would say though, I- I've even noticed in recent years, like you were talking about the idea of uh, like Sundays in particular becoming more secularized. That's totally true. Even okay. where I'm at in a more rural context than like where you guys are at um I still see that you know 80% of our county is not in church on Sunday morning according to the best statistics we have wow. and that's for a bible belt rural county so you would, right. you would expect that number to be lower but it's really not people just don't see it as a as a priority um and and I think uh like what you said Adam with churches that uh, churches encourage that in a lot of ways Um, when we don't take it seriously or if we're not willing to offer correction to that person and say, Hey, you know, you know, I'm glad your kids in this ball game or whatever, but you know, could you be doing something else with your time that will serve them better in 30 years? Um, And a lot, a lot of times there's, the long-term vision is a college scholarship for a lot, for a lot of people. That's the long-term vision. It's like, yeah, but, but what about after that? Like you said, What about when they're on their own and they have their own kids or Mm -hmm. their own marriage or their own faith? What are you doing? You know, if they were investing as much in discipleship of their personal walk with the Lord as they are in this activity, what is going to actually reap more benefits long term? And I think a lot of times people... They just don't have those conversations. You know, they just kind of go on their way. And I would say, too, I think church size has a factor in that. It's a lot easier to hide and kind of slip in and out in a larger church. It can happen in smaller churches, but in, gen- in general, not that much. People notice if you're gone for a while in a smaller church. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's a factor, too, because I, I, I personally have known people who have said, I go to a larger church so that nobody asks me questions. Everybody's just kind of happy that I'm there when I do decide to come and I can kind of go about my business. Um, and so there are some people that, that operate that way and it's hard to hold them accountable when they just kind of mm. drift, drift in and out. Mm. But again, I think a lot of those things aren't really COVID things. That's just been an issue for a long time.
1: Well, that, that's what I was saying. Like COVID's kind of, it's going to built up, it's kind of built up pressure. Sure. And then it's going to be, I'm, I'm afraid that post COVID, if that's ever going to be, um, that it's it's only going to increase big time, and and I don't want to just limit it to you know youth sports and kids because adults, you know, mm-hmm. their priorities are, are are waning as well. It's
3: my one day off where I got yeah, one yard one, work one to do. I'm tired. It's the second
1: Saturday. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, and 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 I would say too that I think uh, one of the issues that we we see with that. Is something really important that I just forgot, so I'm going to shut up. Okay.
0: We'll, get, well, you can come back to it here in a minute if it, if it occurs remember. to you. It,
3: it, it was good. I didn't have coffee. enough coffee, I don't think.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's put feet on it a little bit. We, we agree that this is not a new problem. I mean, like you said, COVID has, has revealed a lot of things about us, you know. Been- I remember.
3: <laughs> Eureka. <laughs> yeah. Ben, Thank, remember. You. Thank you. He like kind of brought it back around. Uh, what I was going to say was COVID has, has given people the excuse to not feel social pressure to be in church. So you had a whole lot of people before COVID that right. attended church once every four weeks, every six weeks, basically to kind of check a box, you know, the Christmas Easter only people of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. CV. I'm a member of such and such church, you know. Mm-hmm. and uh, And so you, you had those people this has finally been the reason that they need to just let go altogether and just say, well, it's not really safe for me to go. And so I'm just, I'm out. And so a lot of those people that were kind of on the fringe, they were on church roles, and maybe they were kind of here or there, but they were never really engaged, they've just kind of dropped off. And I think that's where you see a lot of churches say, you know, well, 50% of our Sunday morning attendance is gone. It's, yeah, but how many of those people in that 50% were really integrated? Like, I'm sure there's some that were, But a lot of those were the fifty percent that you only count every couple of weeks that are just. Which is why
0: I use the term
3: "revealed." COVID has revealed a a lot of things
0: that were pre-existing. Okay, so again, this is nothing new. But and we, I think we would all agree, it's we're not. Our primary goal isn't to get people in our gathering on Sundays. Our primary goal is to make disciples of Jesus. The Bible has laid out that man. That's God's primary tool. The tool is the local church. And so that's why we're talking about getting people integrated into the local church. It's about the mission. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So then, put on your like prognosticator caps for a minute. Let's say that this trend continues in 2022 for the church. What does that look like? And what if it doesn't? What what if we can somehow reverse course for and and, and actually have this sort of watershed moment in history be a good turning point. And we'll talk about in a minute. But you can be thinking in the back of your mind, how are, how would we would we do that, by God's grace? But what? Let's lay out what the difference between a 2022 continuing along the same trend, or a 2022 that maybe takes a shift. What 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 would be the distinctions between the two? How would they each look?
2: I think from like a, a pragmatic approach, if it continues as it is in 2022. Um, And we've even talked about this a little bit in our staff and our staff meetings, things like that. I think there's got to come a time when you come to the realization that those people who haven't been coming during COVID are never going to come back. Mm. Because you can pour a lot of energy and time in trying to get back those folks who used to come, or you can pour your time and energy into reaching new people. And I think there's going to be a time where each church will probably be different. But every church is going to have to come to that place where they say, from a pragmatic standpoint, we've got to quit pouring energy and to try to get these people back. Because a lot of them, they say it's COVID, but it's really not. It's like we've been saying, they get comfortable at the lake watching it on uh, the computer. And I'm not saying everyone's like that, but there are people that have lost the pressure of coming to God's house. And the pastor is in the wrong if he puts pressure on you to be there, because then he's making you feel unsafe and pushing you into something you're not comfortable with. Or just guilty. Yeah, or there's a guilt thing. Yeah, a guilt trip. Like, Pastor, I'm just trying to be safe. I mean, why, why are you pressuring me to come to God's house? So I think that's, that's the key is if it continues, we need to, to have a pragmatic approach of, okay, we've, we've tried. We have reached out and reached out, and these folks just aren't coming back. We love you. We're going to keep praying for you. But now we're going to continue with the mission, and we're going to continue to win lost people to Christ and re-divert our resources and re-divert our attention. Um, I think if the shift does happen and people start coming back, I think that's even better, you know. And uh, you still focus on new folks. So you know?
0: you're you're saying one of the things that would need to take place if we're going to make this shift, right, is a change of mindset as the church. Those of us who are engaged mm-hmm. um, to be not it's not that we we cut people off or exactly write them off to Satan, you know, or, right. or, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but that yeah. our resources, our time, our our, our emotional effort mm-hmm. uh, is better directed toward. Uh, folks who are, uh,
1: we don't we don't have to drag them.
2: That's right. Yeah. Unreached new people. Got that's you. right. Yes, Got sir.
1: You. Yes, sir. I think I think, and this should have been the case. Y'all will be impressed with this. Um, the measurable can't. That, be. That's a high. I know. I, you gotta, I, yeah, but what like I'm going to say yourself I'm leaning in as an as Andy Stanley <laughs> disciple. Um, it can't be about the numbers. Right like that that measurable we should have never had that measurable i mean numbers do play a, a part in it clearly sure they're data points yeah they're yeah, data points but i think that being the butts and seats yeah. um you know because i think our church is is a, a rare thing that i that i've heard like we've grown past covid mm-hmm. like our numbers now are greater than what they were before covid New people, new because families. Because you don't
3: make people wear masks. That's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that may or may not be a factor. <laughs> but, be uh, but I
1: mean, they're, they're non—the people, the new folks who have come—they don't have church affiliation. They didn't yeah. have a church background. Like we've grown beyond yeah. it. But and I could sit there and say, "Oh, we're doing an amazing job." No, it's it's. But, but the question is, are they engaged? Yeah. The engagement piece is is the part that we have to um, we have to really hone in on and. And I know this, this could be a whole other podcast and we won't go down this rabbit trail, but I think churches have to be, get serious about their membership, mm-hmm. what it means to be a member, um, the criteria for being a member and holding people to that standard. Um, we've done that at our church. We renew every year and our people have embraced it and have ran with it. Because if you just, if being a member of a church just means having my name on a piece of paper, what, what does it matter? Yeah. Well, you know, wasn't me. So,
0: okay, Kerfman, I got to be creative here. Now, you, you you're a visionary kind of. I know of. they already
3: stole all my. Stuff. Okay, so,
0: but I, but I've got something. I've got a question for okay. you. Okay. So let's let's make it. This is the last one on this topic. We'll move on. But, um, take um, make p- make a person up in your mind. What does twenty twenty two look like for that person if they continue on the track that we're talking about, versus if they're willing to make this sort of change? you know, just like the church makes, a, as Ben said, make a mental shift. What if this other person says, you know what? I hear that. I feel like God's trying to tell me something. I'm going to yield to that. What? What is it? Well, how can their life be different based on following the flow of the Spirit of God versus Spirit of the age or their own Inclinations that that sort of
3: thing. I, I like that contrast, the spirit of God and spirit of age, because that really does speak kind of speak to what we're talking about. I think um, I tend to start with a bigger picture and have to kind of narrow it down. I mean, I think the the consequence of that is what uh, what Baptists like to refer to as revival. I don't know that that's the best word for that, or just revival, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> or awakening. I, I like that term better. But but I think that kind of that kind of is what people are looking for now. A lot of people hope that that's like a particular experience that they have. They go to a service, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they get saved and they get serious about the Lord. But the reality is, is you're right. There is a good opportunity for people who, either who have kind of been on the fence for years with church and not had kind of one foot in one foot out, to just say, "All right, I'm selling out," yeah. like I'm sold out to this. So so there's part of that. And then there's another part for the unbeliever where Adam said exactly what I was going to say, where the bar is raised of like, hey, if you're not all in, you're not in. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no room. We don't have room for, we don't have to You can time. be our friends. We'll be yeah, friends. Yeah, exactly. With you. you can be friends. But you can show up to church whenever you feel like it. But like, if you're going to be a member of this church, you have to be on mission. You have to be serving. You have to be contributing. You have to be attending. And, and basically, we don't have the time and energy to be pouring out to to people on the edges, begging them to do what is good, what God says is good for them to do. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, so so for the person, maybe maybe somebody that even ends up listening to this, and they're kind of one of those people that's like a once a month, every other week attending type person. It's kind of like, you know... Uh, as the scripture would say, so, you know, why do you continue limping between two opinions? Mm -hmm. If, if the culture or sports or your personal leisure is God, then serve that. Mm -hmm. And if the Lord is God, then serve that. Yeah. So,
0: So the message is, I mean, dear listener, if you happen to have stumbled across this podcast, what you are seeking, what you are thirsting for is actually to be found with the Lord and his people on mission together, right? Like that's, that's truly where that's found. That's yeah. what God has designed us for. So there really is hope. It sounds like we're we're trying to pull people into like uh, slave servitude. To the, no, no, no. We're actually trying to trying to push you toward freedom, right? This is where life is. Uh, the other thing is, it looks like it's fault. It's fool's gold. It looks like looks like life is there, yeah.
3: but life is with God and His people. You know. So there's a great opportunity. Yeah, I do. mean, like p- so many people are struggling with anxiety, anxiety, depression. I mean, just turn on the news. <laughs> Mental illness is a huge problem during COVID. What's the solution for that? Well, one big solution is getting a church where the Bible is preached Mm -hmm. and be fed by the Word of God Mm -hmm. and encouraged by the community of the people of God. That will do tremendous benefits for your mental health. No doubt. No doubt. That's right. All right.
0: Good stuff. Um, Okay, so next I want to address Ben Heise. You said that a major pitfall that we face is that Christians are taught what to think, but not how to think. Um, That's right. And if if I were to choose a topic rather than host today, mm-hmm. that would be my topic. Right. So right. this is something I'm I'm really uh, passionate about. I, first, I want to make sure that our, our listeners know what we mean when we say that, that um, we need to know not only what to think, but also how to think. So when you use that phrase, what, what do you mean?
2: Yeah. So instead of just taking in information and then believing that information is true, really being able to filter off information through a, Consistent foundational understanding of reality. Okay. So each person needs to understand what that is for them, you know. And obviously, as Christians, we believe it's the biblical worldview of Scripture that's the foundational truth. So everything that that we hear and that we see and that we feel, we are filtering it through that Christian worldview of Scripture. Whereas I think a lot of quote unquote Christians who are in churches maybe are not Christians or maybe have never been taught that. You know, just because you hear something on ABC News, or just because you see something in the newspaper, just because you see something on Facebook, hey, it may not be right. Mm-hmm. It may not be coming from the right um, moral understanding. It may not uh, be coming from a, a good understanding of reality. And for you just to believe what you hear is 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 crazy. You know, mm-hmm. because I mean, that's how Nazi Germany almost took over the world. People just believed what they heard, and they didn't actually think for themselves. So it's important to think for ourselves.
0: Okay. All right. I appreciate yeah. that. Sure. Do, do you guys have input on that that kind of definition or that topic in general before we get into some specifics about uh, people being taught what to think but not how to think? Well, let, let me ask this. How did we get here? How did we get to this age where, man, like there's so many voices of this is true, this is true, and they, they all disagree, right. so they can't all be right, right? So, But how did we get here to where there people don't have this – there's no filter, right? Like – if, if, if something agrees with what you already believe, right, then it must be true, right? right. Like, or what you want to believe, or what sounds good. How, how did we arrive? Because I think, I mean, obviously, you know the the world has gone through the sixties and forties of of relativism and postmodernism and, and all that kind of stuff. But I believe it's more it's more prevalent today, maybe with the internet and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. How did we arrive at this at this place in twenty twenty one, going into twenty twenty
3: two? What's the the state of affairs? How how did we get here? I wouldn't say that this is the singular reason. I'm sure it's more complex than this, but, uh, you know, and people may not like this, but we say spicy things here. Um, I I would say that the public education system is a tremendous contributor to that problem. How so? Specifically, uh, we do not teach, uh, like, Logic or any kind of critical thinking in our education system our education system with standardized testing and that kind of stuff has simply been uh here's performance goals uh, and we're measuring your performance along the way as long as you're able to achieve our measure of success then you do that and because that's been standardized down into you know a multiple choice question uh the idea of uh here's an here's an essay or here's something where you have to give a valuable opinion and if your opinion is not yeah <laughs> if it's not informed and if you can't defend it then you fail like that that rarely happens uh in public education anymore even since you know a generation ago you know for me, it was that way, and I'm sure it's only degraded further since then, mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't say that that's the complete blame. I would also point out that it is interesting that in a lot of countries like Germany, where homeschooling is illegal and the public education system was kind of uh, forced you know within mm-hmm. the population right uh oppressive governments are very fond of Stat- ma- mandated yeah. state mandated yeah. public yes, they education are. they are. I mean, Hitler clearly said, "You know, give give me the youth, and in a generation, I'll have
1: an army." So rather
3: of, than thinking you know, well, it's, it's obeying it's well, thinking the right thoughts,
0: right? What you're told prescribed thoughts. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I
1: would agree. throw in social media.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. How, how so? Why?
1: Well, I mean, the, the I think Netflix. There's a documentary called "The Social Dilemma," and um, I mean, when you <clears throat> when you realize how easy it is to manipulate the masses. Uh, with false information, especially, I mean, I'm not getting conspiracy stuff, but when other countries can can really mess up an election and um, the way people think and the misinformation they can put on social media and uh, they know, and then you throw in the algorithms and social yeah, media. When social
0: media becomes a publisher rather than Bingo. a, for, a and, platform. And yeah. so
1: they, they realize that controversy sells. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, see the social dilemma on, on Netflix. I mean, it, it's very eye opening. And um, I sent those these guys this morning, um, former KJB guy that was in the '80s, and he was talking about how to manipulate the way people think. Mm-hmm. And, and it's there's, there's it's so easy because yeah. when you when you take away the idea of being able to think logically and critically and things of that nature. People will literally believe anything.
3: Yeah, whoever, whoever controls the the information controls the people. That's yeah. right.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some, not so much in our church, but other 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 churches and even some pastors posting stuff on social media, and I'm like, you did not read that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and
0: just I just agreed with the headline.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's also funny too when you repost uh, Babylon Bee stuff as
3: yeah as actual
1: news, and some people like get. Oh my gosh, well, and, I knew it. I, I, and again and time. again
3: that shows the lack of like critical yes. thinking That's skills right. right of. I'm That's so right. offended by this. You yeah. know, like when CNN is like wanting to file a lawsuit against you because you said that you have a giant washing machine that they wash their news in and they want to file a lawsuit you it's like there is an editor at CNN somewhere that has never like read literature yeah. or like yeah. has no concept of like the English yeah. language because right. it's it's Clearly, it's not even like close to being real, right. and yet there's this offense there of like, how dare you say that we have a giant washing machine at mm-hmm. CNN? And it's like, the fact that you got angry about this <laughs> is why this website needs to exist. That's right. Okay, <laughs> hey, so so let's withhold names, uh, but as pastors, how do
0: how or what are some specific ways you guys have seen this play out in the lives of Christians? This you've noted. I know you've noticed the ability to the lack of the ability to think through things very well. Uh, um, people being very, you know, you, I think it's, um, Jay Warner Wallace is the first person I read who said it, but I'm sure a thousand other people have said it before that a person often defends a view in the same manner with which they hold the view. Hmm. Right. So if, if somebody comes out emotionally defending their view and that's how they always defend it, well, they believe it because of emotional reasons, hmm. not intellectual reasons. And if they tend to defend it for, you know, intellectually, even if they're wrong, they've arrived at it through those means. So, right. so how have you seen it play out in the lives of Christians in your congregations or in, in Ben Kerfman's congregation? And I'm just kidding. Yeah. All right. and, and anybody's, all of us have seen it, right? And I've seen it in my own life. Um, yeah. How, how does that look specifically?
1: Well, the, I mean, just with the election stuff, the, the QAnon, uh, mm-hmm. all that stuff that it came about. And, now, uh, just that statement might
0: be inflammatory to some of our listeners, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Because like, that's a very oh, yeah. emotional thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but when you when you get to the source of that stuff, and it's almost like you're believing Wikipedia in a sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, just be honest. Um, What's wrong with Wikipedia? Yeah, no. um, but I know. But I actually have confronted um, some folks um, and even some family members over some of the stuff they were posting about the election. I'm like, that's simply not true. That's that there's no, that's me. Um, it's, it's just not true. How do you know that's true? Well, it's probably true. They're, they're, they're jacked up. They, they wouldn't do that. Yeah, they would do that. Yeah. So they're, they're still defending it. Even once you point out that it's not true and it's like, what, they, they never handle it well. Yeah. They never handle it well. It's never like, yeah, you're right. Let me think through this a little bit harder. It's almost like they solidify their position even more so. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and that I'm just, you know, part of the government or something. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. You're going to say something. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, I was
2: trying to think through this and, and kind of trying to narrow this down of why, like you said, Terry, is it so prevalent these days where people, you know, they're okay with, you know, What to think, but not how to think, you know, and they kind of base their lives on tell me what to think and I'll think it and I'll believe it. Mm -hmm. And I got to thinking, honestly, probably no other time in the history of planet Earth has there been a society that has been able to more effectively communicate than the United States today. Um, We have so many tools. I mean, if you think about it, the tech is better than ever. You know, we've got uh, better graphics than ever. We've got these advances in psychological theories where they can study about how to better reach people and how to better intersect their lives. Um, you know, and, and even me thinking through a day, how much media and information do I consume in a day? I'm consuming information as I'm driving down the road. I'm seeing billboards. I'm listening to a podcast. I'm listening to the radio. I get back to the office. You know, there's a social media post. There's emails. There's there's so many ways to effectively communicate. That we, through technology and these abilities, we have dumbed down, um, I think, the need to think through things on our own. So we, we consume so much media that it's no longer let's filter through it and see what's best, but it's let's see just how much we can consume. And we feel like the more information we consume, the better, but yet we're forsaking the ability to filter through that information and actually process it. So I think that's where we're at. Is people are so lazy. They're they're so comfortable just getting the best media, getting the best uh, communication all the time. Like, why do I need to think about it? I'm just going to believe it. It looks good. It sounds good, and I don't have to do anything. I can just listen to it and believe it. I don't actually have to do the hard work of thinking through it. Right? Too busy. Yeah, too busy. Right. It Goes plays, back to it the business plays in for sure. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's ben, good. as
0: you as you've thought about mm-hmm. this, what are um, again looking forward to 2022? Let's let's write a prescription. We all agree this is a problem, right? Like, right. Oh, so, yeah. so what do we do about it? How can we help ourselves, of course, and mm-hmm. help one another, help um, our, our churches, that sort of thing? What, 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 prescription would you write to kind of combat this? Because it's a huge pitfall and it's kind of like a golf swing. If yeah. it starts off a little bad, yeah. it's going to get gonna real bad magic. the further you hit it, right? right. That's right. Um, so what, what prescription would you write going into the new year for those folks?
2: Well, really the only way you or I or society or our churches will ever begin to develop our own views is that we have to understand what a worldview is. Yes. Um, how do we understand the world is uh, paramount to us being able to think through and actually develop our own thoughts and our own ways of thinking. You know, our, as Christians, I said before, our worldview is, is clear. It's, it's systematically laid out in Scripture and the, the Holy Bible, the Word of God. And that is our foundation. And what we have to start to teach our church is that they need to really simplify an understanding of reality. We can look at Genesis one one. We can say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, if God actually created the heavens and the earth, then what does that mean about how I should view abortion? What does that mean about how I should view education? What does that mean about how I should view church life and society and my neighbor? And I think once we teach our church family that it's not what the media tells you, but it's let's filter all that back through. And if you just want to simplify it to Genesis one one. Another great one, you know, the Hebrews had a, had a had a worldview, and they were able to really develop a worldview in two short phrases. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, you know, part of the Shema. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If the Lord our God is truly one, and he is the God of the Hebrews, then everything else should flow through how he sees reality. And if we do that, then we as Christians then learn how to think about views individually and we can actually create in ourselves uh, a habit of how to view things. And I think that's, that's key to teach our church families. And I think that's the only way that they'll ever develop, um, not just what to think, but how to think. Mm. Yeah,
1: I'll tip my hat to Terry. That's something i never really heard anybody teach in that way until he came along. That's awesome. Like of yeah. how to think. It's yeah. not, not just, yeah. here's what to think. Right. Here's how to think. Yeah. Like, you know, and I've even challenged our church sometimes, like, I've almost wanted to get up one Sunday and just preach complete like garbage just to see if they would pick it up, right? Because you know, I want them to understand how to read Scripture, how to think, and and like I said, Terry has done an incredible job with that and um, with his church and even with me and of how to think. And I think as pastors, that's something that uh, yeah we need to proclaim. Thus says the Lord, but also think that we need to un- for people to understand right. how we get there. Amen. You know, because I think that's that's a critical. Critical piece. That's right. So it's on us as pastors to to lead our churches in that. We can't. We played a big
0: role. Yeah. yeah.
3: Carfman, what would you add to the prescription, man? Um, I think uh reading more is helpful. Um <laughs> too busy. Scripture a uh, scripture books, specifically. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> wrong. And not all and not all um, books are created equal. No. So obvious, obviously scripture, I mean, if you if you want to know what to use the term narratives if you want to be able to identify false narratives you need to be which will begin to in a minute you need yeah. to be contrasting them with a true narrative that's right so you need to read the bible more you also you also need to read or at least be informed about broad perspectives you know when you're when you're lo- you're trying to tackle an issue you know say it's abortion what what are the best arguments for a pro choice position. Mm-hmm. What's the best book out there or the best TED talk I can watch or whatever it is. We have access to the information, but like you're saying dealing with that confirmation bias of even asking somebody that disagrees with you point me to a resource that you would say is this this has changed your life on this on this position because I genuinely want to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And if it challenges where I'm at then i then, I need to evaluate that, and if it strengthens where I'm at then great that's part of why we have these conversations right is if we have disagreements with each other, I'm like, I want to know if you guys disagree with me on something what's the best thing that you can bring to the table that has persuaded you to have the position that you have and there have been conversations that we've had that has caused me to to evaluate and and maybe adjust my position in light of that or maybe even strengthen my position in light of that, and we've probably all experienced that. Mm-hmm. But I think I think books do help us do that. I, I think before you move on,
0: let me, let yeah. me uh, say something. What uh, for our, our listeners, what Ben's describing there uh, is, is a few things. Um, he's describing the uh, the concept of steel manning the opposing view. So what we normally do is we straw man the opposing view. Right. We believe sound bites about it. Things we've heard, things we've heard people speak against about it rather than things that people speak for. And we, we, we believe the version of that view that's easiest for us to knock down. But what Ben's suggesting is get the details, get the strongest version of the thing that you disagree with and see if it persuades you, right? Like even if you hold a, a view that you believe to be biblical, right? Your brother or sister in Christ may hold a different view that they also believe to be biblical. Well, you might be wrong. They might be wrong. But we can't know that if we're not willing to listen to views and and look at the strongest version of those. The second thing I I noticed with what you're saying is it requires a tremendous amount of humility.
2: Hmm.
0: I think that's one of the things we're lacking these days is because we all um, hold these opinions so dearly, even if we don't have good reasons for holding them. (laughs) And so when someone attacks our opinion, they're attacking us. And because I don't have any humility, then I raise up. Right. And I, I become further entrenched in that opinion, even though I don't know why, because I'm, I'm being attacked personally, right, rather than my opinion. So I think one of the things that you're adding to the prescription uh, for 2022 is, man, some humility. Yeah, that'd be good. We don't have it all figured out, right? Yeah. Like, we're, we're on a journey. We're hopefully discovering truth. And there's a great value in that. But, but man, truth-seeking requires humility, or you're just going to deceive yourself. Right. Right. But you're, you're not the Lord. Right. <laughs> right, you can be wrong. Uh, it requires a, a lot, a lot of humility. So go ahead. I, I cut you off there, but I wanted to. I'm you know. I'm good. Let's move on.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll throw in too I mean, Paul in Acts 17, he knew what their poets said. Yeah, because he knew he was educated in what they believed, and so he was mm-hmm. able to articulate that. Yeah.
3: Well. I, well, I think that's a big reason why. Without taking too much of a tangent into apologetics in general, but this is a big Which reason. I, I'm always this, in favor. Yeah. yeah. But this is the the statistics that you hear over and over and over again of all these kids They get into college and they become an atheist their first year in college. Well, the reason why is because they never have steel man an argument mm-hmm. that they, they're not aware that there are people out there that disagree with what their pastor said. And so as soon as they meet somebody, they're like, wait a minute, you, you mean that oh, this guy has a doctorate? My pastor doesn't have a doctorate. And he's like a historian that's published books. And he, you know, you get like a Bart Ehrman or somebody like that. And it's just like, Oh no! This guy's super qualified and and prestigious. You he know he was in his class. Uh, yeah, but but you know <laughs> you, you, you run into you run into that guy, right? And how many people have like deconstructed or whatever because of that class, not realizing that well, there's ten other scholars that are just as qualified as him over here that are like that's nonsense and better reasoned. What was yes. the, what was the yeah. Bill
1: Maher uh, religious thing? Yeah. And he never would talk to anybody. With a, well, I shouldn't say with a brain, but like the Ken Ham, they cut it up so You much. see this in the media, yeah.
3: right? When, when when there's some kind of worldview issue in the media and they need to get Christians, they always get the Christian that has three teeth and and as the Westboro Baptist guy. Or Joel's. They don't, get, they don't get an actual apologist or somebody who has a biblical worldview to speak to it because it would absolutely crush their narrative. That's right. And every once in a while they mess up and do it. You know, they'll interview somebody. And that person will, they just, know what will just come about. in there and just slaughter them on their own on their own channel with humility, with humility. And then it's like, well, let's go over to this thing over here, you know. And it's you know. Right. So, uh, I see what what uh, what benefit is there for the
0: person in 2022 who who has a well thought out, biblically grounded, consistent right worldview, Christian worldview. What yeah. what what's why would why entice someone? to want to have a a thorough Christian, consistent, strong biblical worldview.
2: What does that benefit? I think uh, emotional stability, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you don't, and you ride the waves of of trends and you ride the waves of the news cycle, then your emotions are going to be like a roller coaster. You know, Mm -hmm. one news cycle, man, America's looking great, (laughs) and the economy's roaring back, and you're going to be rich. And the next news cycle, you know, um, Joe Biden's opened the border, and, you know, the country's being taken over, or whatever. You know, so or just I, change the channel. Yeah, one yeah. news source right. versus another. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, exactly. So, so there's there's an emotional instability to not having a an absolute uh, worldview, an objective worldview, and we would argue that Christianity is the best worldview, the only one that really truly gives all the answers to life's you know greatest questions. And I think if someone has that kind of a worldview. Um, a biblical worldview, then they feel confident to ask the question, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a question that we as Christians need to ask more. You know, I think Adam alluded to that a few minutes ago, but even people in our church, you know, if they want to come up and they want to start talking about a conspiracy theory, then we should say, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the epistemological question is, Preach. you know, do you Preach. know, do you know why you even believe that? And then, you know, that always stems into well, what's right and what's wrong, you know. So I think I think it goes back to if you're out there and you want to have some emotional stability and you're tired of being depressed all the time and you're tired of life being so dark, stop believing everything you hear. Because the news the news is not the determiner of truth. News is not the determiner of the future. God is in control of the future, and if you want to know how this thing ends, just read Revelation. Mm-hmm. Just follow the. Science. Isn't that right, Ben? Follow <laughs>
3: follow the signs.
1: and I don't know if we're going to get there. And if we do, you can hold up. But like, what kind of resources would you guys? For- it's my next question. Perfect. Okay, but before
3: we go to that, yeah, just one, just one thing that I would add to what to what you are saying of what is the benefit. Mm-hmm. I started reading a really good book last night, and one of the things they were pointing out is on this issue, uh, supply and demand. So the the rarer that uh, consistent worldviews and reasonable arguments become, the more valuable they become. Hmm. So because we're living in a culture where people don't think anymore, being a thinking person actually increases your value to society because you're one of the the, the rare people that thinks through this, which is the reason why as Christians, we should not be afraid to have a biblical worldview because... Everybody's looking for answers. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they're looking at all of these sources, and and they if they have enough common grace, they can put together. Well, these doesn't really match up. This isn't really solving the issue, until they meet somebody that can articulate a biblical worldview, and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on for them. And that's about as classically apologetic as I'll get. I like that.
0: it. I like it, brother. But
3: but I think I think there is tremendous value in being a thinking Christian, mm-hmm. especially at this time in history. Well, and I,
0: I don't know that this is what Jesus meant when he talks about us uh, being salty. Um, but I always picture uh, beer nuts on a bar. The reason they put salty. I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. the reason I'm they put salty food <laughs> uh, in pubs is because it makes you thirsty. You want to drink. You want to drink more. Right. And so I think part of, at least how I see, being salt salt of the earth, um, salt and light, is that um, having a biblical worldview of your own that is consistent, and you live accordingly, Mm -hmm. right? You don't negate your words with how you live your life, um, and having great questions to ask people to open them up within their own assumptions and those sorts of things makes people thirsty because it... The image of God is still on them. They can, they can, if they're willing to, they can see truth at least. And, and uh, maybe I need to look into that. That's winsome, you know, which goes to what what you were saying. Man, there's there's a great value in that. Um, what do what do you think, Adam? You ask what specific tools we can put in people's hands. Well, like from a book
1: perspective, we you mentioned books, right? And and it's one thing for us to sit here and say, you know, worldview, read the Bible. Uh, which is critical, yeah, for, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, but what are some resources or books that you guys have read that are have been monumental in forming your biblical worldview outside of Scripture or with Scripture, I should say, with Scripture.
0: Ice is out. He's leaving
2: on this one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's
0: he's going to go do the
3: he's little work.
1: A, he's got to phone a friend.
2: I've got sure. a. I've actually got a funeral in a little while, but I'm good. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he is. What. He's good. He is good. Somebody else isn't. (laughs) Sorry. So what resources would
1: you... I'm going to let
3: you go. I got to think about that one.
0: Uh, Okay. So I I have a really... uh, This is going to be the cheesiest set of videos you'll ever watch in the world. But uh, Francis Schaefer coming... You know, Francis Schaefer. But off his his book, How Then Should We Live? Or How Should We Then Live? um, He and... um, was it Chuck Colson that produced that with him? Mm-hmm. Um, produced a, a series based on that book, and it it chronicles how we got here, right? So it helps us know why we're thinking the way we are and why culture looks. And it was, but it was made in like the '80s, and Schaefer's wearing his his knickers, and you know he looks really weird. And it's the production value is really old. Yeah, it's old, like an
1: and, '80s B horror movie.
0: Yeah, the production's really old. <laughs> yeah, however, it's great. The content is so valuable. And it's, and it's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, and if, if you're watching and are, are listening, you can you can email me, terry, at reachlifechurch.org, and I'll send you a link. If you're local, I've got the DVDs and I'll loan them to you. They're so valuable, man. So I, I would say that's a great little place to start on getting the, the big scope of things mm. and um, beginning to develop a, a Christian worldview.
1: When I when I think of and you gave it to me is Love God with All Your Mind. JP Moreland. JP Moreland. Yeah. Um it's very good. Um The Battle for Truth Yeah, another, David Noble. Yeah, another yeah. was another good one. Um those were the and, and and I would also recommend and it's it it's very good what I would consider to start with is an apologetics Bible. They make apologetics Bible mm-hmm. that helps you reason through things and there's different... Uh, In the
0: CSB even, come on. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, you know uh, but I, that's another thing that's been very helpful for me, but that those are a couple of the resources.
0: Okay. Yeah. Other other resources you, you guys would point? There are great podcasts out there. Um, oh, Stand okay. to Reason poc- uh, yeah, podcast is really good.
1: Yeah. Well, the website, org is yeah. good.
0: yeah yeah biblical biblical worldview stuff of course you know I, uh reasonable faith is is good um yeah uh, other resources that you guys have for people i think what's uh muller's podcast called
3: the briefing uh and thinking in public is another yeah. one that yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um,
1: yeah um you got any anything by dr norman
3: yeah
0: yeah yeah we have the program observer uh fifth horseman today uh Derek McCarson sitting just off camera. Yeah, I, I recommend anything by Doctor Gosling as well.
2: Yeah,
3: that's not and, supposed to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so let's let's uh, this transition. I have a couple of resources. Go ahead. Um, uh, one would be Summit Ministries, which is David uh, and Neville started. So I'm a Summit graduate. So that was my graduation present in high school. Is a two week worldview. Intensive. Give a thirty second um, Summit. Thirty second Summit Ministries. If you have a high school student, if you're listening and you know of a high school student it is very much worth the money to send them before their first year of college to Summit. They have locations all over the country usually. Basically what they do is, uh, when I was there for two weeks, it was at Cedarville University, they do like four two-hour sessions or something a day, and they bring in the best speakers on various subjects, everything from science and creation stuff, uh, LGBT issues, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And I did this in 2005, and they were talking about stuff way ahead of the time of experts in those subjects who were Bible-believing Christians, experts in their field saying, okay, as an expert in my field, this is what it looks like to believe the Bible in this context. And they have and So you get this huge and- picture uh, and all these resources and stuff. Like I came home with like a three-inch binder of like all the notes from the classes and all that. And that really helped me because I ended up going into a liberal college right after that. And it was like when all these other people's heads are exploding because the professor said the Bible's not real, I'm just like, yeah, I don't buy that. I, I know like five guys over here that have already destroyed these arguments a long time and ago. And they summit.org, correct? Um, yeah. Okay. And so uh, that helped form my worldview a lot. And then I would say uh, one recently that might seem strange. There's a book called God at Work. Mm-hmm. and Veith is the author's last name, and it, he's a Lutheran, um, unfortunately, but he... Uh, <laughs> All truth is God's yeah. truth, brother. That's right, okay, yeah. but it's a book about vocation, mm-hmm. and it actually talks about uh, thinking about the world and thinking about your career and your different things in, in a theological lens, not mm-hmm. just for pastors, but for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's based off of Martin Luther's writings on it. That's been something recently that really helped me ki- kind of uh, reshape, and then... Uh, I would. I haven't read as much Schaefer as you have, but what little I have read uh, has been very helpful mm-hmm. of kind of help, uh, just your perspective mm-hmm. on the world and on things. You can
1: look up with Schaefer Christian Manifesto. He preached it at Thomas Road in the 80s, and yeah. he, he preached a sermon on it, and it's phenomenal. 40 years to, ahead of his time. Yeah, if you just yeah. want to listen to a message. I, I want to add one book um, that kind of changed me, and it's, it's along the same lines as Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. It's basically a resource book. I mean from a biblical standpoint and it's
0: been updated. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Uh cool so we have a few minutes left and I, I want to transition to Ben. We've we've discussed this topic a lot as as we've been going but but Ben um wanted to address the idea of the pit, the it's not potential pitfall. It is a real uh current pitfall but going into 2022 uh the idea that Christians Tend to not be able to discern or think through common pop culture or media narratives. What do you mean when you say narratives, Ben? What, what what is maybe maybe the best way to describe it is to give a few examples of pop culture narratives that Christians tend to drink in.
3: I think I I think narrative is kind of like a popular American equivalent to worldview. Okay. Uh, in the sense that it's uh, a narrative is. How am I going to set up a scenario or an issue in a way that um, in a way that frames the way that this person is going to understand it? And so mm-hmm. we were talking about competing narratives, for instance. So say, say, uh, so for instance, a pro-choice person um, will refer to a pro-life person as anti-life mm-hmm. or anti-choice. They would say this person anti-choice. is anti-choice. Right. Uh, in other words, your personal autonomy, your freedom, the things that you hold dear as an individual human being, this person is your enemy. They are against your right to choose. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the narrative that they're putting out. These people, they want to decide for you what you should do with your body.
1: Mm-hmm. We don't care about life after and, birth.
3: Yeah. And on the other end, there's a narrative of, these people are pro-abortion or pro-death or whatever you want to say instead of pro-choice, Which they are, but... because these people, uh, and and the assumption is all of these people are murderers in their hearts. All of them hate God. None of them uh, actually care about women or whatever else. Right. And so there's these opposing narratives Zero's that are dumb. that are framed. Yeah. Um, and usually usually two extremes with no room for conversation in the middle, and we're in a society where every issue is getting polarized that way. So
0: this is important, what you're saying right here, is that everything has a narrative to it, and the reason is because the person producing a movie or a book or a TV show or a commercial or whatever has a worldview, whether mm-hmm. they right. realize it or not, mm-hmm. and that, that just comes out. right? Maybe Always. even if there's not a nefarious... I'm going to manipulate people to believe. you just, you produce things consistent with your own world. Neutrality is a myth. Correct. Um, and so the narratives are everywhere, right? How do we help people then in closing? How do we help people? How do we equip people to say, Oh, that's here is the narrative behind this thing. How do we help people first recognize what a narrative is that they're even being narrated to, Mm -hmm. right? How do we help people see that?
3: I, I would have three thoughts on that. I think the first one is like a true Baptist um, amen. and they rhyme. Well, yeah. uh,
1: Dennis is not um, gonna... yeah. Alliteration.
3: Yeah. I wasn't that prepared. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. um, the, the three things that I w- that I would say to that is uh, one, and you do this worldview analysis. Uh, what is this person's narrative? Uh, what is their answer to fundamental questions? Mm. Like mm-hmm. for instance, what is real? How can we know what is true? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who am I? What is my purpose? Mm-hmm. Every narrative is actually answering those questions. Yes. And so part of it is, is asking, what is this person's narrative saying, for instance, about me as a human being or about this other person or uh, uh, about reality or about, uh, you know, like, for instance, uh, I used, I'll use the example of abortion again. What do these narratives say about, about, the baby in the womb what do they say about personhood and that helps you kind of it helps kind of unmuddy the waters of like okay let's get down to brass tacks of like what are we actually saying and not saying get through all the euphemisms and all this kind of stuff to like what are the real arguments what are the real issues so you're saying down to thinking that. well
0: yes as, as heisey talked about so it actually helps us not drink in bad narratives
3: yes yeah for sure so ask questions of the narrative that you hear, even if it's on your side. Well, mm-hmm. what is? Maybe some of it is right. Maybe some of it is not right. And don't always assume that that other person does not have correct answers mm-hmm. contained within their narrative. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that's part of it is ask good questions of any narrative, whether it's one you agree with or not. I think another thing is is that um, as Christians, uh, we believe that reality is real. And so because we believe reality is real, we can we can use empiricism to come to conclusions. In other words, we can make uh, rational observations, scientific ar- ob- observations with a lowercase s. We can do those things as Christians and come to conclusions. In other words, we as Christians are actually pro-science. We believe in the scientific method. We believe that we are able to observe things in nature. So right. when you're dealing with narratives that say... Uh, for instance, uh you know the th- this object in the womb is not a baby it's like okay you can't really say that scientifically you can't make that argument yeah. with maybe it's a goat you know it's like you you can't do that it's only um, yeah 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 exactly and so uh, you can have philosophical discussions about personhood on a different level, but there are some things where scientifically like for instance, with uh, with gender and sex, mm-hmm. okay, we've separated gender and sex in psychology, but psychology is a soft science; it's mm-hmm. not empirically verified, right? And so, we as Christians can say, "Hey, if psychology is beneficial, that's great," but but uh, you, as a psychologist, you can't even prove that the mind exists with the scientific method. Many of them deny it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they deny that. But the reality is, is that. Uh, when you're dealing with these kind of narratives of like, well, you need to refer to me as this or or whatever the case may be, can you help me understand in reality, scientifically, how how I'm supposed to understand this situation, or is this an experience that you are having internally that cannot be in ver- empirically verified? Right. That those are those are the kind of questions that we need to ask. Of so, that. science is valid. Science is valid. Yes. And it is our friend in thinking well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's your third one? Um, I'm trying to remember now. I'm not, I'm not doing good today. Um, so, you know, we need, we need to ask good questions. Empiricism is real and we should use that. Oh, and the third is, is that, uh, because we cannot be unbiased, like Terry was saying, because there is no neutrality, we, we have to, we can use those other things, right? Good questions and empiricism, but to some degree, we have to use faith because that is a component of human beings. All human beings have faith in a narrative I mean, or, in, or in a worldview. We yeah. trust something. Yeah. So we have to cl- we have to be open minded in asking questions and trying to verify what we can. But we have to close our mind around one particular narrative mm-hmm. and say, "This is the standard by which I judge all other narratives." Mm-hmm. Now, for Christians, we do that with the Bible. Not because we were raised that way, but because it is it answers the questions in correlation with reality that mm-hmm. we can actually observe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so because it is the most verifiable, the most consistent, the most reasonable, we we choose to to close our minds around that and say this is a narrative that I'll hold to. So how right. do we discern One of the ways that we discern is, has God said anything about this issue? Mm -hmm. And because I presume, I I presuppose God, I presuppose that reality is real. I presuppose that I have reasonable faculties to be able to determine these things.
0: When you say that reality is real, you mean it's objectively true. Like, there's there's not like individual subjective reality, like, there is a an, a single objective reality. Yeah, and like my your
3: your truth. You're just speaking your yeah, truth. But yeah, but my
0: perception either corresponds to
3: that reality, right. what is real, or it doesn't. Right. Yeah. So, okay. for, so for instance, I have partial color blindness. That's why my glasses look weird. Um, these these help me correct my color blindness. From my perspective and my truth is that colors look to me the way they look to me, and everybody else is wrong about what those colors are. Mm -hmm. The problem is is we can use science to actually evaluate colors on a UV spectrum and scientifically measure them and determine that red is red, whether I see it that way or not, which means I'm wrong and the empirical evidence is right because red actually is real and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do we discern between the narrative of what my body experiences and what reality is? There's a hint there. One of the ways that we discern between what I feel or what I experience internally and reality is using things like science to determine of, uh, is this what I say? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if I'm confused about my gender, okay, what does science, which is not in and of itself, but it is a method that we use to determine reality, what is real about me biologically that determines what my gender is? Even if I'm not experiencing that, what actually is real? And then combining that with with another narrative that we true— uh the other narrative that we see that's true about this is the bible the bible happens to be consistent with what we observe in science so has god said anything is. about my gender identity yeah right and that's not hateful to tell somebody but it's just saying uh if we are pro science this is this is why it's a complete irony that uh that uh the lgbt movement is atheistic it's complete irony because there's this clear contrast between uh, the scientific Science. method and the worldview—they're right. totally uh, in contrast to each other. Good stuff. Hey. Let, let's um,
0: let's close by giving uh, one. This is challenging for pastors. One sentence exhortation or encouragement to our listeners from each of you going into 2022. What would be one sentence you would give them to to encourage them to press into the things that we've talked about today?
1: Make it simple. Love God with all that you are. Um, Let him be the Lord of your life. And okay. Love people.
0: Appreciate that. Yep. What about you, Ben?
2: I'm Always original. Always ask the question, how do you know? Hmm. The epistemological question.
0: Yeah, Indeed. Indeed. What about you, Kirk?
1: More than a sentence. Here we go.
3: I'm trying. <laughs> if you will obey what you already know now, it will solve a lot of your problems. What you know now, not what you believe. What you already know now. Okay. All right. From from Scripture. Okay. If we obeyed the Bible that we knew now and not anything else, we would be further along than we are.
0: True. So, True. Gentlemen, thanks for today. I hope it's been beneficial to our listeners.
1: Yeah.
0: Signing off. Thanks. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horseman. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review.